Here's a quick word from our football educational partners over at the Scouting Academy. Listen, we've said it all the time. If you love the analysis and you're passionate about football, then you really need to check out the Scouting Academy. Whether you're a football coach, aspiring writer, or even aspiring football agent, the Scouting Academy is really a perfect place for you to learn and develop your skills as an analyst. With curriculum that spans over 375 years of coaching and personnel experience, the Scouting Academy offers you a 16-week online course that you can tailor and build to meet your needs and your interests. Whether you're learning about wide receivers or defensive linemen, you can make the experience what you want it to be. Listen, I've said it to you on this podcast many times. I've spent my own money, my own time, and time away from my friends and family because I am just this passionate about this game. And the Scouting Academy is the place where I really feel like I've learned the most I've ever learned about the game of football. It's made me a better analyst. It's made me a better person in terms of the coaching I do on the field. I can't say enough great things about it. If you have any questions about the Scouting Academy, please don't hesitate to reach out to Dan Hatman on Twitter or reach out to the Scouting Academy online via email. I'm open to all questions as well. Heck, I'm still even a student there myself. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I really think that once you learn all the tools and gain the knowledge that they have to offer, I really think you're going to be absolutely excited about the game of football again. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. If you missed last week's two-part podcast series with the great Mr. Matt Waldman, please make sure you check them out. He was... Really gracious with his time, was willing to come on two episodes. He, we probably talked an hour and 20 minutes the first episode, an hour plus the second episode, talking about rookie landing spots, talking traits, talking skill, talking opportunity, talking short-term, long-term value to really help you in your dynasty rookie drafts, help you get a feel for you know how these rookies may be utilized on your favorite NFL teams and rosters, talk about who could potentially make an immediate impact versus a long-term out, uh, out impact. So, so much great content. Please make sure you get back and listen to both of them. Uh, one was early last week. One was late last week. Really great stuff there. Again, Matt was really gracious to come on for two episodes. He also did one pre-draft as well where we really dug in. Uh, so really two excellent shows. On tonight's episode, it's going to be a solo pod. I'm going to get back to having a guest next week. Uh, I already have Matt Harmon of Yahoo uh, set up to come in next week on the podcast. Matt has been a multiple guest here at Saturday to Sunday, so really excited to get Matt back on the program next week to talk about these rookies, to talk about maybe some second-year wide receivers that could break out as well, but obviously have focused a lot on this year's rookie class as well. So I'm really looking forward to that. But what I have planned for you tonight is something I'm really excited about because this is something me and my co-host Macaraccio talked about doing over the years, but we've never had the chance and the opportunity to get around doing it pre-draft 
but I'm excited that I at least was able to put it together post-draft. And that is ranking the rookie class from last year versus the current rookie class and not ranking them based on what their skill level was coming out of college. You'll hear us reference things like that in the pre-draft months when we talk about, you know, this player, you know, is the best prospect, you know, we've seen the last couple of years. This guy, you know, on talent alone would be higher than all the, the running backs in the previous draft classes, or he'd be below everybody but Saquon Barkley at the running backs. You've heard us talk about things like that. But now that 2018 rookie class, they've already got one year now in the fold in the NFL. We have a lot more data to go off of now on these prospects from last year who, you know, listen, they, some of them got their opportunity. Some it's a little bit of a wait and see approach. Some have already outperformed what we might have thought of them. Some have underperformed. And then we have to kind of make light of it and say, okay, well, the ones who underperformed, are they going to? show progress and development. The ones who outperformed, are they going to continue to develop and get even better? Are they going to take a step back? So we have a year under our fold. And I always think it's interesting to compare now that rookie class, where they are right now as mini camps and stuff are opening up around the NFL. These guys are in their second year now. Compare those guys in terms of their values and outlook compared to the new rookie crop. And I think it's really advantageous in the fantasy landscape, obviously a lot for dynasty drafts, dynasty rookie drafts. You know, it could be a startup draft, but even more to rookie drafts, I think are are where, where it really comes into the forefront of potentially looking to make trades. I know a lot of rookie drafts happen right after the draft or in the weeks, you know, right after the draft, but there's still a lot of rookie drafts. I know personally, I'm in four rookie drafts that don't really kick off until the summer, later in the summer, August, late July, end of August. So there's a lot of different leagues out there that people kind of do the rookie drafts at all different times. And also just in terms of trade talks, maybe you already had your rookie draft, but you can utilize the information that I'm going to present. And then we're going to eventually put it up somewhere, whether it's on the website, whether it's a link we put out on Twitter to a Google uh, you know, product, like another Google Sheets document that is available to anybody who has the link in terms of what my rankings are, ranking those 2018 got rookies where they currently stand compared to the 2019 rookie class. So it's a really fun exercise. It's a lot harder exercise than you might think. And that is something that I really took away from it. There were certain positions, wide receiver in particular, that was really challenging. And parts of the running backs as well were really challenging. I think the quarterbacks and tight ends were a little bit easier for me. But I figured it was an opportunity to kind of present this to you and you know you guys can utilize it in a lot of different ways for whether it's startup dynasty leagues rookie drafts trade talk or just comparing these prospects where they are now in terms of maybe future value compared to some of these rookies so let's start right at the quarterback position obviously you know we talk all the time in terms of the quarterback position just how much you know obviously if we're talking the fantasy spin league settings in terms of your dynasty leagues, one quarterback, two quarterbacks, super flex. So this is where I would stand right now if we're combining the quarterback rankings where they currently stand in 2018 guys compared to the 2019 rookies before they've ever played it down. At the quarterback position, my number one quarterback would be Baker Mayfield. My number two would be Kyler Murray. My number three would be Josh Allen. My number four would be Lamar Jackson. My number five would be Sam Darnold. My number six quarterback would be Dwayne Haskins. My number seven quarterback would be Daniel Jones. Number eight would be Josh Rosen. Number nine would be Drew Locke. Number 10 would be Will Greer. And then I round out the last 
handful of guys. Number 11, Jared Stidham to the, the Patriots. Number 12, Ryan Finley on the Bengals. Number 13, Mason Rudolph with the Steelers. 14, Clayton Thorson with the Eagles. 15, Easton Stick with the Chargers. And 16, Alex Magoo with the Jaguars. I threw him in there. Because on the last episode, we talked about Alex Magoo a little bit with Matt Waldman about he's a guy who is, is been making some plays at the Jaguars, uh, OTAs and stuff. He was a guy that Mark Schofield and Matt Waldman were both high on. So let's just keep him in the back of your mind as a guy at the bottom of this list of ranking these 2018 quarterbacks, their dynasty value compared to the 2019 in class. I think number one, Baker Mayfield, like I talked about, I mentioned him at the top. He's the clear number one for me. Right now, the way he took the lead by storm last year, took really performed well. A lot of people think this year is already going to be a top six, top eight quarterback. So to put a guy from this year's class, even one as intriguing as Kyler Murray with his dual threat ability, the offense that Cliff Kingsbury is going to bring there to Arizona, could not put Kyler Murray over Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is a guy that I think has top five, top six, consistent year in and year out production. He's now had Odell Beckham added to his roster. So I think Baker Mayfield to me is the clear one. I have a hard time seeing an argument for anybody else. And number two, I think Kyler Murray is the is the safe choice there, but also the, the choice that presents the most upside. Somebody might say, well, he's never played it down in the NFL, so you're going out on a little bit of a limb. Yeah, I think that's right, but I think his upside is special in terms of the offensive running and his capability of being a, a thrower and a runner. Right after that, you know, I have Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Those guys had really impactful rookie years in terms of the fantasy landscape. Josh Allen, to me, you know, he... I was one of his biggest advocates last year. I still don't think he's getting the credit he deserves. People still think he's trash. I think he's going to consistently get better in terms of his passing, in terms of his accuracy. And then he has that capability to make big plays in the running game, be a red zone touchdown threat, like a Cam Newton, like a Tim Tebow when he was playing. But I do think like Cam Newton showed progress and development in his passing, I think Josh Allen is going to do that too. So I think Josh Allen is on a trajectory where he's going to be a, a QB one and be a guy consistently in the top eight or top 10. I just think Kyler Murray's ceiling is a little bit higher. He's more advanced easily in terms of his passing ability, his accuracy than a guy like Josh Allen. And his obviously athleticism is rare and special. Kyler Murray obviously doesn't have the size and frame to hold up as well as Josh Allen or maybe not be as used as much as a red zone threat. That's the thing. Listen, in, if Josh Allen's passing develops, he could even be higher on this list. He can push his way to number two over Kyler Murray, and he could even push his way to number one above Baker Mayfield. If he develops into a Cam Newton-like player, there, there's been a period of time that Cam Newton was number one, number two, number three, or guaranteed lock to be in the top 10 of fantasy discussions. If Josh Allen develops his passing game, he's still got the potential to leapfrog Kyler Murray in this in these rankings. Leapfrog Baker Mayfield. His ceiling might even be higher than than Baker Mayfield's and Kyler Murray if you're going straight on ceiling alone. You know, and and the same could probably be said about Lamar Jackson as well. But it's all about the passing game. See, I think Kyler Murray is so much more advanced passing than Lamar Jackson right now. And I think there's more development and progress that Josh Allen could show as a passer than Lamar Jackson. I don't know if Lamar Jackson's ever going to 
show as much development and progress as Josh Allen might. I think they're very similar, though. You could talk about both of them having a lot of development and to do in the passing game. I think Josh Allen is further advanced. I've seen Josh Allen make plays off script, and he's got that elite, rare, special arm talent to fit the window, fit the ball into any tight window, push the ball vertically down the field. I'm not sure Lamar Jackson could do that. So I think Josh Allen's ceiling is the highest, then Mayfield, then Murray. But then I think Lamar Jackson, he doesn't have to become a great passer. If he becomes an average to above average passer with his rushing ability, he could be an elite fantasy asset and be another top eight to top 10 QB one type prospect. So I think those four are very much locked in for me because Murray Allen and Lamar Jackson offer that running upside. Mayfield was just so productive last year that you could see him being a Drew Brees or Tom Brady or, you know, Andrew Luck type consistent fantasy producer year in and year out without much running capability attached to him. But Murray Allen and Jackson, I think, are all have that capability. Murray is the most advanced in terms of his passing ability, and he's in a scheme that really could open it up. So that's why Murray's two, Allen's three, Jackson four. I have Darnold ahead of Haskins. I think they're pretty similar on talent alone. I, I even might give the slight edge to Haskins in some areas, other areas to Darnold, ability to play off script and off structure, I think goes to Darnold. Uh, natural tools, I think, might go to Haskins. But Darnold's already shown some success at the NFL level. It wasn't a great year, but he showed progress and development. And that was the nice thing to see about Sam Darnold. If he has a trajectory and becomes a Matt Ryan style quarterback, I mean, Matt Ryan's had some really great fantasy years, you know, prior to the last couple, you know, two out of the last three years where he's been in the top five, he kind of always settled in for most of his career in that, you know, QB seven, eight to QB 12 range. If if Sam Darnold gets there, I mean, that's a really productive fantasy quarterback. And if Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson don't show the growth and development in their passing skills that I talked about, then Donald would even be higher than those two guys as well. Haskins 6 talked about him. He's just now we're talking about him, Daniel Jones, Josh Rosen, Drew Locke. Those are, you know, all the guys from this year's quarterback class, plus Josh Rosen. Rosen is where he is because let's be honest, when it really, when push comes to shove with Josh Rosen, his long-term outlook is still a little bit suspect. And I say that because, you know, if Miami has a really bad year, who's to say Josh Rosen is not in the same situation next year as them looking to draft Tua or Herbert or another guy and move on from Josh Rosen. So I think I put him after Haskins, after Daniel Jones. And to be honest with you, in straight fantasy, I put Haskins ahead of Daniel Jones, but I don't think it's crazy to think that Daniel Jones is going to be a more productive fantasy quarterback because he has that rushing component that Dwayne Haskins doesn't. So that makes up for some of the lack of passing talent that I think the difference between Haskins and Jones is. So Jones with that rushing ability could even be a guy that I would understand in the fantasy realm, somebody having ahead of Dwayne Haskins because Dwayne Haskins is going to make his living like a Jameis Winston, like a Ben Roethlisberger from the pocket. That involves a lot of volume, that involves touchdowns, gaudy stats to be really fantasy viable. While Daniel Jones, if he has that rushing component and doesn't have to be, you know, doesn't have to be rushing component like Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson, it could be thir- it could be averaging 30 yards a game or 25 yards a game. You know, and if you do that throughout the course of the whole season and then you throw in a couple touchdowns, even if it's like three touchdowns or four touchdowns, 
all of a sudden three or four touchdowns and averaging 25 you know yards a game or so or 30 yards a game those extra two and a half to three points from the rushing plus the occasional touchdown all of a sudden could put him in the same area as Dwayne Haskins or even outproduce Dwayne Haskins so those would be my guys Rosen then after them even though on talent alone Rosen as a guy like more than Daniel Jones he doesn't have the running component and his his even with Miami now, his landing is very suspect long-term. Then I have Drew Locke and then Will Greer rounded out. I think Locke's going to get an opportunity to start in a year. I think Will Greer potentially, we talked about him with Matt Waldman. Will Greer is a guy who I like a lot. I think he might get an opportunity down the line there if they move on from Cam Newton. And then might get, and I like his fit with the wide receivers they have there. The rest of the guys, Stidham, Finley, Rudolph, those are dart throws. I think Stidham, who knows, could down the line maybe get an opportunity to be Brady's heir apparent. Maybe Ryan Finley as a game manager gets an opportunity with the Bengals there. Mason Rudolph, who knows when Ben Roethlisberger calls it quits. Maybe he gets an opportunity. And then Thorson, Stick, and Magoo are just kind of long shots. So that's kind of my quarterback breakdown comparing the 2018 rookies where they stand right now versus the incoming 2019 rookie class. Let's take this to the running back. So obviously at the top spot on the ranking, these running backs from last year to this year, it's obviously Saquon Barkley. It's clear distinction by himself. I think after that though, it gets a little bit up for grabs. And I think this is an interesting conversation to me. The number two spot really is up to three people. And right now I have Josh Jacobs there as my number two, followed by carry on Johnson, followed by Nick Chubb. Now, I'm going out a little bit on a limb there with Josh Jacobs. The reason why I have Josh Jacobs there is is twofold. One, on pure talent alone, I had him more talented of a a prospect than Kerryon Johnson and Nick Chubb. Two, his impact in the receiving game. I think he's a guy who can catch 55 to 65 passes and be a really impactful player in the passing game if he gets that opportunity. Three, I think in I think Oakland wants a bell cow running back and they're going to give him every opportunity to become that. So that's why I have him there. Carry on Johnson and Nick Chubb. If anybody wanted to have them at number two, especially Nick Chubb, I totally understand it. And if there was no Kareem Hunt in the picture, I think Nick Chubb might be the clear number two guy here. But Kareem Hunt, technically the Browns kind of control his rights for this year and next. And and when you're talking about running backs, you know, I, I kind of try to keep it in a short window of three years to four years at the absolute max. So if in the second half of this year, Kareem Hunt comes back from his suspension and takes a role, even if it's 40% or 35% or 30% of Nick Chubb's role, I think he could take some of the receiving ability away from Nick Chubb and I could take some touches away. So then that's my concern. And then what if he has a pretty strong finish to the year? Maybe they kind of ride out Kareem Hunt for one more year before they move on and, and say, okay, you know, we're going to ride with Chubb. They might might go into next year and it might be more of an even timeshare. So I just think there's a little bit of a question mark there about Nick Chubb with the Kareem Hunt landing spot there. That makes me have Josh Jacobs because I love the talent, but I, most people who do this list probably would have Nick Chubb ahead of Josh Jacobs, but Josh Jacobs was my number one rookie, you know, skill player going in, in this class. He's my number one right now for this 2019 rookie drafts. And he'd be a guy that I would still prefer him and his upside over Nick Chubb, but I, I could be out on a limb on that one. I think they're very interchangeable. Carry on Johnson, I loved his talent pre-draft. I had him ahead talent 
on pre-draft than Nick Chubb. So I still, I think they both had really successful rookie years. When Kerryon Johnson got an opportunity to be a bell cow, he showed a lot of ability there. I, I like his receiving ability a little bit more than Nick Chubb. So that's why I still have him here. But same concerns about Nick Chubb. Detroit has went out and said they want to be a running football team, but they also want to be a team that doesn't uh, show a lot to... Uh, you know, doesn't put too much on carry on Johnson's plate. So I do think that is a scenario uh, to watch closely as well. So that's my top four, Barkley, Josh Jacobs, carry on Johnson, followed by Nick Chubb. After that, I'll, I'll run off five to 10 and then we'll, I'll talk about them. Number five is Miles Sanders. Number six is David Montgomery. Number seven is Philip Lindsay. Number eight is Darrell Henderson. Number nine is Sony Michelle. And number 10 is Darius Geis. Now this is really, Philip Lindsay's the, Want to know what the X factor here because Philip Lindsay hasn't gotten back on the field yet from his uh, late season or off season injury, whatever you want to call it. So he's still battling a little bit of an issue there. They have Royce Freeman there, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, who was drafted ahead of him last year. Obviously, Philip Lindsay DFA, Royce Freeman was taken in the third round, but Lindsay had a fantastic rookie year. And I still think there's even more that Philip Lindsay can do. The only reason why I have Sanders and Montgomery ahead of him is because Royce Freeman's there. Lindsey could lose out on touchdown opportunities due to Royce Freeman, due to on his size. So, yes, he's going to make up a lot for it in the passing game. But I think Miles Sanders and Montgomery have the opportunity to be bell cow backs. I think Sanders might be year two. I don't think year one, I think Jordan Howard's going to have a role this year, but I love that offense moving forward long-term. And I think David Montgomery, when I talked to him, Matt Williamson, we talked a lot about their aggressiveness and Mike Taglier, both. We, I talked to both of those guys about David Montgomery, the aggressiveness they moved to go up and get him, utilizing assets from the previ- from the next year's draft class. I think they have a clear role for him. I can see a Kareem Hunt-like role in that offense, obviously, uh, they brought over a lot of the aspects of the Kansas City offense when they got their new head coach last year. Uh, I think Matt Nagy could do a lot of different stuff with David Montgomery. I still think Tariq Cohen's going to have a role. So I think Sanders and Montgomery have the capability to be a little bit more of a three down back long term than Philip Lindsay. But if you're going on, Philip Lindsay's already proved it. I'm not going to argue much if somebody wants to have Philip Lindsay at the five spot and then Sanders and Montgomery. This is, again, me taking into consideration what I saw last year, but also projecting for the next three-year window. And if there was no Royce Freeman, this is a no-brainer. But I still think Royce Freeman is going to work his way into a pretty significant part of that backfield. So that has me a little bit concerned that I think I would take Miles Sanders. I think I would take David Montgomery before I took Philip Lindsay. But let me put it in the perspective. In my rookie rankings for this year, I have the three running backs as my top three running back, my top three overall prospects for regular, you know, one quarterback rookie leagues. I have Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, David Montgomery. Then Nikhil Harry is number four for me. I would trade the 1.04 pick, provided the first three running backs went for Philip Lindsay. So I would trade Nikhil Harry, any other wide receiver in this draft class, any other running back, any tight end, et cetera, for Philip Lindsay. So I am still a big fan of Philip Lindsay. I think he could even take more on his plate if he give it to him. My concern is about them giving it to him. Number eight, nine, and 10, Henderson, Michelle, Geis. Listen, Henderson is, the, is, a, is buying a stock at, at a value that you think is pretty reasonable, 
but could explode. I think that's how the best way to interpret it. If Gurley is only a part-time player committee, maybe Henderson starts out as a 30% role to, to Gurley or four or 35. But if there's legitimate concerns about Todd Gurley long time, long term, Darrell Henderson has the capability to be an explosive player in one of the most wide open explosive offenses in the NFL. So I I, I like that look outlook on him. I think he's an intriguing prospect and the landing spot couldn't have been better. And there's just so many things being out there about Todd Gurley right now that are concerning that I think Henderson is high priority for any Gurley owner. And for anybody who wants to take a shot at a high upside player, I think that's Henderson. Because even worst case scenario, worst case scenario, even if Gurley's okay to handle 16 to 18 touches for the next three or four years, there's a production available in that offense if Henderson's getting nine to 11 looks a game. You know, what if Gurley's in the 16 to 18 range on average? And what if Henderson's in the nine to 11 or nine to 12 to complement Gurley? You know, as a receiving component, as a change of pace, I still think that would produce fantasy value. And the guy after him, Sony Michelle and Darius Geis, listen, if that if if Damian Harris is not drafted by the Patriots in the third round, Sony Michelle's number five on this list. Sony Michelle is right after Nick Chubb. Sony Michelle is a higher than Miles Sanders. He's higher than David Montgomery. He's higher than Philip Lindsay. But the Patriots drafted Damian Harris when they did. Plus, Sony Michelle not being a factor in the passing game, something that he did show that he was capable of at Georgia. But now in the Patriots, they have such specialized roles for their running back. I don't think they mean, I don't think Sony Michelle's ever going to be a factor in that regards. Has our legitimate and the injury concerns are legitimate concerns for Sony Michelle, which has him down at nine. Darius Geis loved the talent last year. He was my number two talent after Saquon Barkley, but we don't know if he's healthy. We don't know what he's coming back into. They have Adrian Peterson there. They drafted Bryce Love. So Darius Geis is just a wild card at this point. That's where I would feel ranking him right there as that wild card because I believe in the talent. After that, let me just run down a whole bunch of the rankings and then I'll go through a bunch of them. At number 11 is Rashard Penny. At number 12 is Ronald Jones. Number 13 is Royce Freeman. Number 14 is Damian Harris. Number 15 is Justice Hill. Number 16 is Alexander Madison. Number 17 is Devin Singletary. Number 18 is Kalen Balaj. Number 19 is Naheem Hines. Number 20 is Jalen Samuels. So let's talk a little bit about that group of guys right there. Richard Penny is up at 11. He's got the upside to go higher, and he's got the downside to go the other way. Does Chris Carson hold him off for this year or maybe even the foreseeable future and limit Richard Penny to a change of pace guy, a guy who gets 30%, 35%? Because if so, Richard Penny probably drops even lower on this list. But because they invested a first-round pick in him last year, because when he, sh- he showed glimpses last year of being a productive player, this is where he still goes. I take my gamble on him over anybody else in this range after him. Number 12, Ronald Jones. Barely got on the field last year as a rookie. I like Ronald Jones' talent more than Rashard Penny last year. But right now, it looks like Jones is going to get an opportunity there with Bruce Arians becoming the head coach there. They didn't really make much of an investment in any other running back. So I do see a scenario where maybe Ronald Jones gets an opportunity, but not really sure what he's going to do at the next level. But because they didn't go out and get any other major piece in the running back backfield, I will say Ronald Jones belongs there on the list. Royce Freeman talked a little bit about him before with Philip Lindsay. You can buy Royce Freeman 
a little bit on the cheap side right now. And I think he's an intriguing guy. I'd give up a mid-second round rookie pick, maybe even, you know, a third or fourth pick in the second round. If you're starting to think about the Damian Harris's of the world, the Justice Hills of the world, those guys, I might be willing to offer that pick away for a guy like Royce Freeman because I do think Royce Freeman's still got talent. And I think he's going to, I think that's going to emerge as closer to a 50 50 backfield split than. I think people want to think. And listen, I think they both can be productive. I don't want to sit here and say the Broncos offense is going to be the Saints or anything like that. But I mean, we've seen teams have two guys in the backfield at least be, you know, put up good running back stats. I think there's a scenario where Philip Lindsay could be an RB2 and Royce Freeman could be an RB3. I don't think that is a far fetched scenario if it's a 55 45 timeshare. Lindsay gets 55%. Freeman gets 45%. Lindsay's the receiving back, but Royce Freeman's the guy that, you know, maybe gets an opportunity to score eight to 10 touchdowns. So I, I do see a valuable role for Royce Freeman. After that, Damian Harris and Justice Hill, those guys are interchangeable. I change them in my current dynasty rookie ranks just about every other day. Uh, Harris, obviously, if he gets an opportunity there in that Patriots offense, could, could really make a lot of noise, but he's got to kind of carve out a role for himself there over Sony Michelle. He has a little bit more draft capital in Justice Hill, but I love Justice Hill's explosiveness, his receiving ability, and his speed that he brings a different component. Do I ever think he's going to be a bell cow in that Baltimore offense? No. I think he's going to compliment and work his way to having a role this year with Mark Ingram, but I could see him being a big play threat. So I could see him being an impactful player this year and in the future. Alexander Madison, we talked a lot about him with Matt Waldman, a guy who is could be a really good handcuff to Dalvin Cook, but also have some standalone value as well because, you know, Dalvin Cook has had some injury concerns over the years and they could potentially want to limit just how heavy of a work a work share and time load they give to Dalvin Cook. So Madison might have some standalone value. They might look at him as a better, uh, younger Latavius Murray role and they could, and that could still have value. I have Devin Singletary next. I talked a lot about Devin Singletary with Matt Williamson a couple episodes ago. I don't love the talent, and I don't see a clear role for him. I mean, there's veterans there now. There is he going to be the guy in the future? He's not a receiving guy. He struggles in pass protection. He's not a big guy. So I don't know if he's going to be the goal line guy. So what is he? Is he just an early down runner? Is he an early down change of pace runner? He doesn't have blazing speed. So Singletary's here. Obviously, if he takes a stranglehold of that backfield, he would leap, he would really leapfrog a lot of guys here. And then Kalen Balaj, Naheem Hines, Jalen Samuels, I think they're all similar p- roles. They have a role on their team. I think they're all really good receivers. I think Balaj, you know, could be the best runner of that group. I think Naheem Hines and Jalen Samuels are more space players, change of pace guys, uh, guys that can make an impact in the receiving game. But I think Kalen Balaj can make an impact in the receiving game, and he's got a little bit more rushing upside. And we're not sure what they think of Kenyon Drake. So I think Balaj has maybe the highest upside of those, but I think Hines and Samuels definitely have higher floors than Kalen Balaj. After that, let me rattle off the next group of guys here. Obviously, where I post this, guys, you're going to see it go down even further than what I say on the podcast. But number 21 is Raquel Armstead. The Jacksonville, number 22 is Tony Pollard. Number three is Benny Snell. Number four is Dexter Williams. Number 25 is Darwin Thompson. Number 26 is Ito Smith. 27 is Justin Jackson. 28 is Chase Emmons. 29 is Bryce Love. And then number 30, which is where I'm going to cut it off, is Rodney Anderson in there. Somebody might say Ito Smith's a little love. Yeah, I, I could see that. He was productive, but 
Devontae uh, Freeman's back this year. They drafted a bigger guy in Quadra Allison. I could see them investing in another back in the future if they ever moved on from Freeman. I don't think Edo Smith's going to get an opportunity to be the guy there. So I gambled more with the higher upside handcuffs like Raquel Armstead, Benny Snell, potentially Dexter Williams outperforming Jamal Williams, the gadget player. Tony Pollard, I think, could you know emerge to be very similar to what we, I was talking about of Naheem Hines or Jalen Samuels. And then last year, guys, you have Chase Edmonds, who in this new offense, I think he's going to get some opportunity to show his receiving worth. I think he's a very good receiver. Justin Jackson and the Chargers, he showed some success down the stretch last year, but they still have, uh, you know, obviously Melvin Gordon still locked in there. They still have Austin Eckler. So who knows if Jackson's going to get much of an opportunity. And then Bryce Love, I mentioned before with Darius Geis coming off an injury, probably a red shirt year for him. And then Rodney Anderson, love his talent. Talent alone, he's probably in the top six or seven on this list, but was drafted in the sixth round, doesn't have a lot of draft capital. So obviously a long way to go there to potentially, you know, make a lot of noise. So, that's kind of it with the running backs. Let's take this to the tight ends, and then we'll end with the wide receivers at the tight end group. I have TJ Hawkinson, number one, Noah Fant, number two, Dallas Goddard, number three, Irv Smith Jr., number four, Jay Sternberger, number five, Christopher Herndon, number six, Hayden Hurst, seven, Mike Gusecki, eight, Kahale Waring, nine, Dawson Knox, 10, Josh Oliver, 11, Ian Thomas, 12, Mark Andrews, 13, Foster Moreau, 14, and Drew Sample, 15. On my board, I go down a little bit further, guys like Alzey Mack, Caleb Wilson, Trevon Wesco, Will Disley, so on and so forth. I go all the way down 30 deep. But I'm just going to rattle off and talk about those first 15 right there. I think Hawkinson, in terms of long-term upside, is still the one with the highest upside. I can see a... George Kittle-like career, a Gronk-like career. I keep saying Hunter Henry, but more athletic. So I think any of those guys would put him at the top of this. No offense, number two for me, but let's talk about him and, and Dallas Goddard together. If in four, if in three years or four years, I had to say who I think is going to be a better fantasy tight end, I'm going to say Dallas Goddard because I do think when he has the capabilities to be an elite tight end prospect in that Eagles offense, but the reason why I have fan a higher than him right now, and the reason why fans value is higher, whether you're talking trade value or dynasty value, is that Noah Fant's going to get immediate opportunity to be a player in that offense. I have some concerns about his route running and route development and route tree, similar to what I had about David Njoku, but the landing spot is great if they ask him to to do what he's best at. I think he can shine in that regards. So that's why I think Fant needs to be ahead of Goddard because Goddard could be a waiting game. It could be a two, three, four year wait for him to really get an opportunity to be a great or very good or, or consistent starting tight end one. I think he could start having some tight end week one weeks this year. I think you're going to be in a lot more two tight end sets, but he's not going to be a consistent guy. You're going to put him in there and hope that maybe he scores a touchdown this week. You know, so I don't think he's a, a guy that should be a top 10 or top 12 guy this year, but I think in the future, his upside is even higher than Noah Fant's, uh, in my, in my opinion, because I really love Dallas Goddard's talent, but I, I do understand that fans got to be higher than him. After that, I have Irv Smith and Jay Sternberger ahead of Christopher Herndon. To me, they're all in the same group. If we were talking about current rookie draft value, I think somewhere from the mid-second to late-second round, like in a standard 12-team league, is where guys like Irv Smith, Jay Sternberger, and where Christopher Herndon's value should be. I think Christopher Herndon had a really productive year last year, 
and he has room to grow. I loved him in the pre-draft process. I was I was on the Christopher Herndon bandwagon before anyone, I think, talking about how much I liked him. But I do have a concern that last year might have been his best year that we see in terms of targets, receptions. And that's because the Jets have went out. They signed Jamison Crowder. They signed Le'Veon Bell. Those guys are going to occupy the short to in, the short parts of the field where Christopher Herndon caught a lot of his passes last year. So if Le'Veon Bell's catching 80 passes in the short game and Jamison Crowder's catching 60 to 70 passes in the short game, they're going to come away from some guys. You still got Rodney Anderson going deep and being the vertical threat and the big play threat. So Herndon, I could see Herndon being more efficient. I could see him scoring more touchdowns. But I have some concerns that his targets and his opportunity could come down a little bit. But if somebody wants to have Christopher Herndon ahead of Irv Smith and Jay Sternberger, I don't think they're crazy. So I think Christopher Herndon could be fourth on this list because we've already seen him be productive at the NFL level. We haven't seen Irv Smith Jr. do that. And they have Kyle Rudolph right there now. I'm not sure for how long. We haven't seen Jay Sternberger be productive. What if he's not? What if he can't translate from playing at Texas A&M in that wide open, you know, Big Twelve, you know, league where they barely play defense? Okay. What if Sternberger can't take that next step and show that he can be a serviceable blocker and do more than, you know. Christopher Herndon. So I do think I do think there is some concern there. And I apologize, Texas A&M, formerly in the Big 12, in the SEC. So 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 Sternberger played against upper-level competition, but he mostly was in a pass-catching role where he received a lot of opportunity and a lot of targets. Can we see him do that at the NFL level? He's, got, he's playing behind Jimmy Graham this year, so I don't think we're going to see much this year. So tight ends, Christopher Herndon's going to outproduce Irv Smith, Dallas Goddard, and Jay Sternberger easily this year. Long-term upside, I, I like Irv Smith and Jay Sternberger's talent a little bit more and think they could become a, bit, a little bit bigger part of their offenses that they're in, but that's a projection. So if people have Herndon higher, I could totally see that and understand that as well. Hurst, Gusecki, Waring, Knox, Oliver, that gr- next group. Listen, I liked Hayden Hurst last year. I want to give him one more year before I bury him in my rankings, before I put Mark Andrews ahead of him. I know Mark Andrews had a very productive season last year, especially in that offense. But Hayden Hurst got injured early on, took him some time to come back. I want to give Hayden Hurst. They they invested a first-round pick in Hayden Hurst. I mean, I know they took Mark Andrews in round three. I still think they have plans for Hayden Hurst to be a bigger part of that offense. So I still have Hayden Hurst there. It's mostly just on talent. Right here, this ranking is kind of on pre-draft talent, to be honest with you. Hayden Hurst, Mike Gusecki, barely got an opportunity last year. I liked Hurst and Gusecki more on pre-draft analysis, and I liked Cahill Warren, Dawson Knox, and Josh Oliver. So that's basically how I ranked them, because we didn't really get to see a lot of that of Hayden Hurst. We didn't really get to see a lot of that of Mike Gusecki. So somebody might say, well, they didn't perform, so maybe they should be lower. Maybe, but their teams invested higher draft capital on them than the following three guys I like their college film more than the other guys. So I'm going to say Hurst and Gusecki before the Warren, Knox, and Josh Oliver trio. That's just the way I see it. I like Warren the most in terms of his upside long-term than Knox and Oliver. you know. And then I think Knox and Oliver, all again, all good draft capital, all going to get an opportunity this year. 
to really show their skill set. I think they're all going to get an opportunity this year to play. So we'll see after the year ranking Hurst, Gusecki, and those guys could be a very different order if we don't see some growth and development out of Hurst and Gusecki this year. And then obviously to round it out, Ian Thomas, I think when Greg Olson calls it quits, I think we could see Ian Thomas develop into a starter there. So that's why I have him ahead of Mark Andrews. Again, if, Mark, if somebody wants to have Mark Andrews all the way up at seven or eight on this list, I'm okay with that. I think that's I, I'd be comfortable with that and understand why somebody would have that. And then I rounded out the guys I'm going to talk about, Foster Moreau and Drew Sample. We talked a little bit about them with Matt Wallman on the last show. I think Moreau has more athletic upside, so I put him higher. Sample was taken in the second round. Moreau was much later, but I think Sample's going to be much more of a blocker, check down guy. I think Moreau's got a little bit more upside to go further down the field and maybe a little bit more of an impactful receiver. So that's kind of my tight end ranking from last year's guys with their present value to this year's rookie class. Let's take this to the wide receiver class, which I feel good about my number one, maybe my number two, and then it's a free-for-all. Then it's like literally eight guys, nine guys, you want to mix them up. You know, it's really, you know, maybe my top, maybe my top four I feel okay about, but then after that, it's really like eight or nine guys I think you can mix up. And I don't even love my number three and number four. Number one is Calvin Ridley. To me, that is clear cut. I would trade my 1.02 rookie pick right now for Calvin Ridley, the only rookie that, that I'd want from the 2019 class. More than Calvin Ridley is Josh Jacobs. I would trade the, the pick from that I, I could take Miles Sanders for Calvin Ridley. I would trade the pick that I can get uh, David Montgomery for Calvin Ridley. And I would definitely trade the pick that I can take Nikhil Harry Witt over Calvin Ridley. I don't care that Julio Jones is there. Julio Jones is already 30 or 31 years old. I think Julio Jones is going to be a very impactful player for the next couple of years. But in even during that time that Julio Jones is still dominating, I think Calvin Ridley could be a wide receiver two slash three. And then once Julio slows down or they move on from Julio in three, four years, I think Calvin Ridley has the potential to be a top 12 wide receiver in fantasy. So he's my clear number one, best route runner from the last two draft classes, produced last year. I think I think he's going to be very productive with playing the, the Robin to Julio Jones' Batman over the next couple of years, but even has more upside to take it to the next level in the future. Number two, I have DJ Moore. And this is the one where if somebody wants to have Nikhil Harry here, I understand it. Harry's got more touchdown potential. DJ Moore was a very raw player coming out of college himself. But I saw DJ Moore produce last year, get better as the year went on. I think we're going to see more growth and development from him this year. And I've already been on record. While I like Nikhil Harry, I think he's an Alshon Jeffrey type player. I have some concerns about his immediate production. And then you also have the concerns about Who's the next quarterback there after Tom Brady? Tom Brady's not a guy who really throws it up to his receivers. So his receivers need to create space, get open. He's not really a guy that throws it up and lets his receivers win at the catch point, which is a strength in Nikhil Harry. So maybe they're going to use Nikhil Harry in a way where they use him on some bubble screens. They use him in line, more of a big slot at times, a tight end, like an Aaron Hernandez move tight end role that Matt uh, Wallman talked about when he was on. So, I don't know how productive Nikhil Harry is going to be in the short term with Tom Brady. Then we have the concerns about how quickly does he pick up the very complicated Patriots offense. And then we have the concerns about who's after Tom Brady. So that's that's where I have DJ Moore ahead of him. Some people probably have Nikhil Harry number one on this list. I'm not ready to go there. I have him number three. I could strongly understand somebody putting him at number two because he does have, I think, more upside than DJ Moore. But because I saw more produce a little bit already at the 
NFL level and because I think he's locked into a more consistent role in the short term, I'm going to say more ahead of Harry. Harry number three there for me. Then it, number four for me is Christian Kirk. I think he could be a 90 to 100 catch guy in that new Arizona offense. I think he's their best slot guy, quickest, fastest player in terms of changing direction and getting open in and out of his routes. So I think he's going to do a lot of work if you really study the Cliff Kingsbury uh, passing offense, they love to target those slot receivers. So I think Christian Kirk could have a very productive uh, run there in that offense with Kyler Murray throwing him the ball. I know they invested in a lot of other receivers. I'll be talking about some of that momentarily. I like Christian Kirk's upside there as number four. After that, it's a crapshoot because after that, I go into the big group of guys from this year's draft class, sprinkle in Cortland Sutton, James Washington, and Dante Pettis. And all of a sudden, 5 through 12, I think, can be rearranged in any order, and you can make a strong argument for these guys. So I don't have a strong reason of why I would put these guys over that. It's just a combination of pre-draft evaluation, opportunity, and landing spot, to be honest with you. I have Debo Samuel, 5. I have Nicole Harmon, 6. I have Paris Campbell, 7. I have A.J. Brown, 8. I have DK Metcalf nine. I got Cortland set Cortland Sutton at 10 Marquise Brown at 11 James Washington at 13 Dante. Sorry, James Washington at 12 Dante Pettis at 13. So that's Samuel at five Hardman at six Campbell at seven Brown at eight Metcalf at nine Sutton at 10 Marquise Brown at 11 James Washington at 12 and Dante Pettis at 13. Dante Pettis would be four on this list if they didn't draft Debo Samuel at the top of the second round. James Washington, if he showed more last year and they didn't draft Deontay Johnson in the third round, might be four or five. But Washington has to show me that he can emerge and, and take on that role and develop as their, their guy. I loved him pre-draft. He was one of my top wide receivers last year. Dante Pettis, now I, I love his ability to play inside and outside, but now he's got to... Who's going to emerge there? I like Debo Samuel better. I think Debo Samuel is going to emerge as in, as the top wide receiver there. I still like Dante Pettis. I could see them being like a long-term, a number two and number three, both of them fantasy producers. So I went with Samuel up at five. McCall Hardman, the opportunity. I'm expecting Tyreek Hill not to play for the Chiefs this year or moving forward. So I love the, the speed and I think there's a lot of upside there attaching myself to that offense. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Paris Campbell, but he's probably a little bit of a, a projection a year or two away of maybe hitting his upside. A.J. Brown, Matt Waltman and I talked about him. I loved A.J. Brown. He was my number one wide receiver on talent. I might be too low on A.J. Brown. When I keep looking at my 2019 rookies, I keep thinking, do I want to have A.J. Brown that low? I love the talent. I like the talent more than Debo. I like the talent more than McCall Hardman. I like the talent more than Paris Campbell. It wasn't that close. A.J. Brown was number one. Debo was five. McCall Hardman was like nine. Paris Campbell was like seven or eight. So I clearly liked A.J. Brown more than those guys. Do I want to drop him below just because I don't love the landing spot there in Tennessee? I think A.J. Brown is best inside as a big slot, but they just gave Adam Humphreys a lot of money. I think he can play outside and be productive. I just don't know if he's at, at his best there. So, you know, quarterback situation in Tennessee, it's fluid. Maybe, maybe you know, Marcus Mariota is not there for the long haul. So I could see myself maybe bumping A.J. Brown up there because I do love his talent. 
I have DK Metcalf higher than Corlin Sutton just because I think the upside with DK Metcalf is a little bit higher. Corlin Sutton last year, listen, there's some issues with Corlin Sutton. I know everybody loved him coming out. He's big. He's physical. Again, another Alshon Jeffrey type player, but showed more athleticism in his time, you know, his, his combine and stuff like that is in the pre-draft process. But he's got some mental issues in terms of, you know, mental drops and mental lapses in terms of route running. He's still got to refine that. He came from playing at, at a lower level of competition. So he has to show that he can win at the NFL level more consistently, more regularly. I think his teammate, Deshaun Hamilton, is going to catch more passes this year. I think Cortland Sutton is going to be more of a touchdown producer. That's why he's higher. So Cortland Sutton is a guy who there was a part of time last year that I thought he would be higher on a list like this for me. But I have some question marks about him moving forward there that I'm just, you know, between him, Hamilton, Noah Fant, like I think there's a lot of uncertainty with all of those guys that I'm holding off a little bit. But I think Sutton is the guy that people would have higher on this list. But I, And I could, see him, I could see some people having him as high as four, to be honest with you, where I have Christian Kirk. So like I said, this whole group is very interchangeable. Then I have Marquise Brown. He's a guy who, you know, I know he's locked into a really good role there, but it's the Baltimore. What does Lamar Jackson emerge as? So I think he, there's a lot of unknown there, but on talent alone, he had a little bit more pre-draft in terms of talent. I thought than James Washington, I think his role is a little bit more solidified than, than James Washington. So that's why I have him higher, but I like James Washington at the value you can buy him. I like Dante Pettis again, five through 13, you could almost mix them up and put them in any order. And I, okay, I'm, I'm okay with that and wouldn't really argue one way or the other. Let's take this a little bit further here in our final portion of the night. At 14, I have Andy Isabella. At 15, I have Deshaun Hamilton. At 16, I have Anthony Miller. At 17, I have J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. At 18, I have Hakeem Butler. At 19, I have Deontay Johnson. At 20, I have Traquan Smith. At 21, I have Kiki Kuti. At 22, I have Terry McLaurin. At 23, I have Miles Boykin. At 24, I have Antonio Callaway. At 25, I have Michael Gallup. And then rounding out my top 30, Marquez Valdez-Scantling at 26, Deion Kane at 27, Jalen Hurd at 28, Robert Foster at 29, and DJ Chark at 30. Some quick thoughts. I like Andy Isabella's long-term upside a little bit higher in that offense. They invested a second-round pick on him. I think he's got some inside-outside capabilities. I already talked about how productive the slot receivers are in that Cliff Kingsbury offense. I think he's a slot player but can get vertical. So I like Isabella's upside a little bit more than I think Isabella's ceiling is a lot higher than a guy like Deshaun Hamilton and Anthony Miller, who their floor I think is substantially higher. We saw Anthony Miller in his rookie year who battled injuries, have a productive year. We saw Deshaun Hamilton. I think he could be a guy that catches 70 or 75 passes consistently as a slot player. I think J.J. Arcega-Whiteside for some people might be higher on this list because he's potentially going into a situation there where he's going to be Alshon Jeffrey's replacement in the future. I had some questions about separation quickness and getting open and not being able to do more than just the bully ball style we saw at Stanford. So he's a little bit lower on my list than he might be for some. But listen, I think we're talking, you know, mid-second round pick for J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. I think that's probably what guys like Deshaun Hamilton and Anthony Miller would potentially get you in a trade discussions as well. Some people might have Arcega-Whiteside in their late first round or early second. I, I'm not as high on him as those people. Hakeem Butler, again, fourth round pick, so not as much draft capital, but like the upside. Deontay Johnson, uh, 
the landing spot in Pittsburgh is ideal, but if James Washington develops, then he's probably just the third option there. So how fantasy viable is that? But he's a player that Matt and I liked a lot in the pre-draft process. He went even earlier than we expected. 20 and 21, Traquan Smith and Kiki Kuti. If you're talking about you want a guy who's a reliable five to seven catches a game, I think that's Kiki Kuti. I think he's going to be a very good fantasy, you know, PPR wide receiver three type player. I have Traquan Smith one spot higher because I still think there's a role there for number two receiver to develop. But when you take into account Alvin Kamara, you know, it's kind of the third pass catching role. But I do think Traquan Smith could be a big play weapon there. But I could totally see having Kuti and Traquan Smith flip flop. I can see having Kiki Kuti or Traquan Smith higher than Deontay Johnson or Hakeem Butler. If you're talking about, uh, you know, current value. I think their current value is probably a little bit higher than uh, Butler and Deontay Johnson, but long-term, I like Butler and Johnson, I think a little bit more in terms of their overall upside and landing spots. And I do Traquan and Kiki Kuti. Terry McLaurin, obviously playing with his quarterback, Dwayne Haskins is an intriguing landing spot there. So I have him and Miles Boykin, two guys who I like their opportunity this year, but you kind of got to kind of see how they emerge, see how Lamar Jackson develops. See how quickly McLaurin earns a starting role there. Antonio Callaway is an intriguing one because I love the talent of the player. But they have a great running game with Nick Chubb and then Kareem Hunt when he comes back. They just traded for Odell Beckham. They have Jarvis Landry. They have David Njoku. How much fantasy viability could there be for an Antonio Callaway? It seems like he's an intriguing best ball type player. He could have a couple spiked weeks here or there, but it's going to be very hard to know when they're coming. He's not going to be a guy you want to play consistently anytime in the near future. If Odell and Landry are both there as I expect them to be, plus the ground game's good, plus Njoku's good. You know, I, I don't see Antonio Callaway being a guy who's a consistent top 36 player and then if he's not a consistent top 36 player well then he's more of a reserve you know a a guy you play on buys depth piece so that's kind of where i see callaway i think there's more of an opportunity for boykin or mclaurin with their depth chart looking like it was for them to develop into starters even maybe not in as good a passing offense obviously as the browns michael gallup i think we could see him develop a little bit this year but between how run heavy they are Amari Cooper getting a lot of targets. I have Gallup down here, but there are some people that think Dallas is going to open it up a little bit more this year. If they do that, I think Gallup has an opportunity to maybe move significantly higher on this list, potentially into that Deshaun Hamilton, Anthony Miller, JJ Arcega Whiteside territory. But that we need to see Dallas really open it up more. After that, I think their stashes, wild cards. Marquez Valdez Scantling, does he get an opportunity to become the number two wide receiver there? Take it away from Geronimo Allison in Green Bay and outperform, you know. Uh, the other wide receivers that the Packers drafted last year in Equinemia St. Brown. Uh, and, you know, that situation, that's something to follow closely. Jamon Moore, obviously, Valdez Scanlon showed more glimpses last year, but then really kind of faded at the end. Deion Kane was looking really good last year in training camp and mini camp, and then he tore, uh, tore his ACL. So he's out the he was out the year. So now they drafted Paris Campbell. They signed Devin Funches. What's his role going to be coming back? I thought he was one of the sleeper and undervalued picks of last year's draft where they got him and they really loved him. Jalen Hurd, we've talked about what are what are San Francisco's plans for him. It's hard to know at this point. So he's just a wild card. And then Robert Foster and DJ Chark, two big play vertical threats. Foster had a lot of success last year. He, sh- he would have been much higher on this list if they didn't go out in the offseason, get 
uh, John Brown, who could do a lot of the same things. And I think it's a better pure route runner. They drafted Cole Beasley in the slot. They still got Dave Jones, who showed some development last year. So where does that kind of leave Robert Foster? If he's a fourth wide receiver on a low-volume passing team, I, you know, he's a big play here or there. It's hard to get excited about that fantasy-wise. So there it is. My top 30 at the wide receiver position, I think it's by far and away the hardest one to rank. I think it's the one that probably would have the most discussion, and I understand it. So hopefully you listen to my reasoning and thought process. I could understand, like I said, just about anybody having different guys at the top. Maybe someone has Nikhil Harriet, number one or number two. I prefer Ridley and DJ Moore. And then I can see that group of guys that I talked about before from Debo to AJ Brown to Marquise Brown, DK Metcalf, Cortland Sutton, James Washington, Dante Pettis. I could see those guys completely being mixed up and shuffled. If I did this exercise multiple more times, then maybe I'll try to keep uh, this rankings going throughout the summer as I hear more information, uh, maybe I'll keep this going just to kind of, uh, you know, see if I adjust a lot as, as the season comes uh, closer to uh, kicking off. So I think it's a fun exercise. I think everybody's would look very different. I feel pretty good about my quarterback rankings, uh, my tight end rankings. I think my running back rankings, besides the conversation about Josh Jacobs, on Johnson, and Nick Chubb, which I think those three can be rearranged in any which way, and I totally support it, and I think there's a marginal difference between them. Uh, I feel pretty good about my running back rankings, the way I laid that out. Uh, it's the wide receivers. I feel good about Calvin Ridley, maybe about DJ Moore and Nikhil Harry is my two, three and Christian Kirk at four. But then after that, that five group, I mean, you can almost stretch it even down to 13, 14, and then even the next group from 14 through 21. I think those can be shuffled up and, and mixed up a lot as well. So guys, hopefully you found this a worthwhile and fun listen and exercise. I know it was fun for me to kind of put this together, fun yet very challenging. So uh, it, w- it was, it was kind of exciting. It's something I wanted to do on just pre-draft evaluation for quite some time, but I do think this offers a little bit more intrigue for the fantasy community by doing it like this, uh, as people, you know, are constantly talking trade, trading your seventh pick, you know, in a rookie draft for a player from last year or trading, you know, a a mid second round pick for a guy from last year, or early third round pick for a guy that maybe who's left in the rookie draft, you can trade that pick away to someone who's excited about a rookie this year and maybe get a guy from last year that you're buying low on, whether it's a James Washington or, or somebody like that. Uh, maybe you can take this opportunity to buy low on Dallas Goddard. I know I just got him in one league where I swapped Christopher Herndon and a third-round rookie pick for Dallas Goddard and a fifth-round rookie pick, things like that. Uh, take this opportunity to try to make trades in your leagues. Uh, it's, it's one of the funnest part about fantasy and dynasty to begin with and i think there's so much like kind of make your own board and, and stick to it take other people's opinions and and maybe they make you change a thing here or there in your own opinion but it's got to be something that you believe in it's got to be a guy that you believe has upside maybe you're looking for upside over floor maybe you're looking for media production versus long-term production so there's a lot of ways you can go about in dynasty leagues uh, you know, even the trade I just talked about Herndon for Dallas Goddard. I mean, if you're talking about a guy who needs immediate production, who's a, you know, wants to, you know, get something out of their tight end right now. Well, then Herndon is the slam dunk pick, I think, because I think Herndon has the capability to be in that tight end one mix this year from tight end nine or 10 to like tight end 12, where I, I didn't get Goddard probably needs a lot to break his way in terms of touchdowns to see enough volume, even if they go two tight end sets regularly to, to make that happen. 
you know, Goddard is more of a long-term projection and a long-term buy. But I had Zach Ertz on my roster. I had Evan Ingram on my roster. So I was willing to sacrifice immediate production from Chris Herndon for the long-term upside that I thought Dallas Goddard brought to my team and my roster. So that's how I envision using these type of rankings. I think it's a really fun way to go about doing it. So hope you enjoyed it. If, if you're enjoying what we're doing, please get over to whatever podcast app you use, whether it's iTunes, whether it's Apple Podcasts, whether it's Google Play, whether it's Stitcher, whether it's Podbean. Rate, review, and subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. So on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.